On September 13th and September 14th, Blockworks is hosting its Digital Asset Summit in New York yet again. I will be hosting a macro conversation with Alfonso Pecatiello, Urian Timmer, Daniel DiMartino Booth, and Mike Green. That is just one of many conversations at DOS. Think the deals end there? No, 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 no. Blockworks Research is the premier institutional crypto research product. And if you use the code guidance, all lowercase, you can get 50% off on Blockworks Research. Our head of research just wrote a second quarter macro review of all that happened over the past few months. It is free. So if you click the link in the description, you can get that for free and then use the code guidance, all lower caps, to get 50% off Blockworks Research. Thank you. Or should I say, you're welcome. I am joined by Logan Modashami, lead analyst at Housing Wire. Logan is an expert in real estate. Logan, welcome to Forward Guidance. It is great to be here. Logan, how would you characterize the current health of the U.S. real estate market? Well, at the start of the year when inventory had broken to all-time lows and the uh, home price growth was getting out of hand, I coined the phrase savagely unhealthy. And uh, that's honestly how I uh, felt about this housing market really since post um, 2020 in the fall. Um, we're, we got stuck in a very unique place, historically speaking, on inventory. Inventory levels have been falling for many years, but we broke to all-time lows kind of right at the worst time possible as our biggest housing demographic patch, the millennials ages 28 to 34 now, came into their uh, prime home buying age. And inventory collapsed to all-time lows. So what it's what it's done is this uh, unique dynamic of what I call as forced bidding. Uh, and in 2022, it got so bad that I just kind of threw in the towel and said, "Listen, the only way we could get any kind of balance in housing is to have mortgage rates uh, go up." And, and they have, and we're we're in the process of uh, trying to create a balanced housing market. And for me, it's just getting total inventory back to 2019 levels, which was the four-decade low before 2020. But we can see that what higher rates are doing is creating balance. But um, the unfortunate aspect is, you know, home price growth, as we see in a lot of the recent data, is still running double digits. And we had this massive increase in mortgage rates, and now we've had a 1% decrease. And we're, we're trying to find this equilibrium on what a normal housing market looks like. We're not there yet, but uh, yeah, if, you, if I had to coin a phrase, I'll stick to the one I've started in 2022, savagely unhealthy. Yeah, I got a lot of questions, Logan. Let's wind the clock back to, I don't know, April or May 2020, back when people are still really worried about a recession, perhaps a depression because of COVID, and yet the uh, a spark is ignited in the housing market that continues really until you know January, February this year. How historic is that uh, price appreciation? You know, does it rival that of before the Great Financial Crisis, the 2003, 2004, 2005? And then how much of that is due to the low inventories? And uh, versus how much of it is due to the historically low mortgage rates? And I also might ask, why were mortgage rates so low? So I'm in this camp because a lot of my housing economic work, it was always uh, parsed out into two periods, uh, 2008 to 2019, and then 2020 to 2024. So I've been waiting mm -hmm. for this period in time forever. And then COVID happened. 
Um, so I think for me, it's, you know, I, I work with macroeconomic cycles first and then housing is kind of a secondary, but it's, it's kind of the, the main thing I'm known for. So when April came, uh, I wrote a recovery model. It's called America's Back Recovery Model. And I thought, you know what, we're going to be okay. We're going to recover this year. Give housing some, uh, uh, give it a few weeks and you, you should see things kind of get back to normal. Um, what happened during in, in, in COVID is I think people forgot that even though we have 20 to 30 million people unemployed, technically, 5 million in forbearance, 133 million people were working, right? So housing needs roughly 4 million mortgage buyers to, to have a stable market. It's got 15 to 20% cash buyers, a little bit more than that now. Those people just paused like everyone else did for six weeks, and they just went back to trend. But it isn't record-breaking demand or anything like that that we saw from 2002 to 2005. Um and, and, and I use this as an example, 2020 existing home sales was only 130,000 more than 2017 levels. You know, during the housing bubble years, we had a lot more inventory, we had a lot more sales, but we had less price growth. Here, it's different. We had less sales, we had a lot less inventory, but we had hotter price growth. So just like a lot of things that we see uh, just in the economy, we have vertical pricing, never seen that. We go back to the 90s, 80, or the housing bubble years or anything, anything recently, but we've had it for a few years now. Um, and that is also part of the savagely unhealthy part, but it makes sense in the sense that inventory had been slowly falling since 2014, 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18 and 19, even when mortgage rates got to 5%, the total inventory data didn't really budge. So here is this period of time where I thought, okay, there is a chance that we can break to all-time lows in a really bad uh, spot. And that's what occurred. And really it was by the fall of uh, 2020 where, you know, I started to say, oh God, we're about to like, you know, hit it in a very unhealthy fashion. Uh, I think a lot of people were stuck in that forbearance crash storyline. It, it didn't make sense. Credit profiles are much better. So even though demand wasn't really booming, because inventory was so low, what, what we had is we had too many people chasing too few homes. So what occurs then is that, you know, people are starting bidding against each other. And that's the savagely unhealthy aspect. In fact, for this specific period, I even set a price growth model that I said, listen, if home prices only grew at 23% in five years, we'll be okay. After that's not annualized, not yeah. annualized, right? That's 23%. Cumulative. Yeah, that's cumulative. We've yeah, yeah, yeah. smashed that in two years, right? So then another flag, it's already up. Great. Okay, that, that didn't happen. So a lot of this is demand's better. Of course, I could make a case that uh, averaging out two-year sales, it's really about 365,000 more homes uh, bought than the 2019 period. So it's not like a massive credit boom or a sales boom or anything like that. A, a good example is... Um, uh, at the peak of the housing bubble years, uh, new home sales was 1.4 million. And we're at like 590,000 right now. So it isn't that. It's just we had a very, very low inventory channel that was going lower. And then all of a sudden, we have more buyers than traditional. That's why years 2020 to 2024, I've always said, this will be a little bit different than the previous cycle, household formation. People rent, they date, they mate, they get married. Three and a half years after marriage, they have kids. Housing was always a year's 2020 to 2024 story. But the problem was 
the active listings weren't growing like they were in 2001 to 2005. A lot of people don't remember this, but inventory was actually growing during the housing bubble years. It's just that we had such a credit boom, such a big sales boom that it kept monthly supply uh, below five months. Not the case here. We just kept on, we kept on continuing a trend uh, and we got to the point that we finally end up paying the price of not having too many product. Uh, so even though rates were the driver, I, I always argue that low mortgage rates didn't really create the housing uh, bubble. Credit did. So part of my, we're going to have the weakest housing recovery ever from 2008 to 2019. Uh, even though we have low mortgage rates, we didn't have the kind of demographic demand or demand to warrant any kind of sales numbers like we saw from 2002 to 2005. So this is a lot of the growth rate in pricing is inventory. If people saw the data and compared it to the housing, you could see a stark historic difference between two different cycles, except the problem is the price growth here is much hotter uh, in a shorter period of time. And that is part of the savagely unhealthy aspect of the housing market. And you said for the savagely unhealthy housing market to start to get better, mortgage rates would have to go up. We've seen that uh, definitely. I, th you know, I think mortgage rates have gone from you know, somewhere in the 2.7% to... I can, no? I can make a case that we had a 4% mortgage, uh, mortgage rate spread uh, within a year. And now I'm, talking, I'm taking the low of 2.5% and we had maybe a day or two or 6.5%. So we are probably most likely today under 5% again. So we've had a 1% plus decrease uh, uh, in, in, in recent weeks as the 10-year yield has fallen. But we took a humongous affordability hit uh, the biggest I've ever seen in my lifetime, because it's not just mortgage rates rising, it's also the home price growth. Uh, uh, you put them two together, that's meaningful. That is a really meaningful difference than what we saw in the previous expansion where rates would rise, but home prices never really took off and then rates would fall down and, and, and you know inventory channels would work itself out. Um, not the case here. Here we had unbelievable hot home price growth. So we were heading up higher than the Russian invasion came in all of a sudden. Mortgage rates spiked, bond yields went up higher. So we're taking a massive hit. We see it in the data. Home sales are slowing down noticeably, but inventory channels are slowly working their way back up to 2019 levels. So I've set targets, you know, in my work in the in the last uh, 18 to 24 months. All we need is total inventory. This is the NAR data to get between 1.52 to 1.93. That's the four decade low before COVID, but it's enough to have a balanced housing market. You don't get the crazy bids. Um, just recently, the last existing home sales report meeting days uh, on the market is 14 days. That's an all time low. That is the last existing home sales report. So you can see that the inventory channels are still not back to 2019 levels. There's parts of the United States of America that are creeping back to the low end of 2019, but we're not there yet. And that to me is a positive. Uh, what happened in the last two years, not a positive, right? Uh, uh we, we inflated home price growth because we forced people to bid against each other and it just sucks affordability in so fast. Nothing that we've seen in recent modern day history. So we're working our way back up there. We're not there yet. Uh, most likely we're not going to hit the high end of the uh, 2019 inventory channel this year, but I'm hopefully next year we can do that. But again, mortgage rates are falling. So kind of my thing this year, and you know, talking to the media, I said the biggest fear I have is actually mortgage rates have peaked. Rates go back down again, 
And the growth that we've had in inventory either slows down, which we're seeing right now, we're seeing the growth rate of inventory slow down, or pauses or reverses. And, and that to me just means we're gonna have another year of not getting back to 2019 levels, which I think would be the best thing for the housing market. And the only thing we had really was rates getting higher, but unfortunately it went up so fast that we're technically in a housing recession right now. The builders have basically thrown in the flag. They're not going to be constructing anymore. They're just going to slow the process and try to you know, sell off all their uh, backlog of homes that are under construction, right? Uh, I think there's less than one month of supply of actual finished product. We have about roughly six months of supply that's being constructed, two, a, little, a little bit above two months. They haven't even started yet. Don't look for them to bring a, a shovel near that dirt. So uh, it's just, there's a lot going on here that's, to me, not good, but it's part of it is demographics equal demand. Here's the biggest housing demographics patch ever, lowest uh, mortgage rates ever, inventory hit all-time lows. Nothing good happens in that situation. But let's just talk about the inventory because price appreciation is is off the charts. Inventories are low. Why wouldn't, you know, we, you and I form a, a house building company, uh, Motoshami and Farley, and we, we start building houses and houses are so expensive that it, it must be a profitable business, right? Like, why is the inventory so low? Why are builders so reticent to build? The builder's biggest competition is the existing home sales market. And I think where my work is different than maybe other housing economists, I never believed the home builders underbuilt in the last cycle. Uh, they only build off their own demand curves because they have to sell their homes for uh, a profit. They, this is not the march of dimes, right? They have to build, there's a lot of labor costs, home costs, regular, all these things, they have to make money. So what happened in the previous expansion, part of my weakest housing recovery premise ever, is that builders missed sales estimates in 2013, 2014, 2015. In 2018, they had a supply spike, right? Mortgage rates got to 5%. It didn't really impact the existing home sales too much. But for them, builder stocks were down 30%. One of the builder CEOs said it was the worst fourth quarter since the great financial crisis. They get drama really quickly. But yeah, they get very them. dramatic people. Like yeah, they're, they're just, I mean, they are simply here to make money. They could care less. Because think about this. Every decade that has gone by, they have been feeding this massive army soldiers, right? The existing home sales is this massive market of cheaper homes, right? So for a brief time, they were able to really take advantage because total inventory for existing homes uh, had fallen to all-time low. So more, a little bit more people than normal came in and bought the new homes, which is much more expensive than an existing home. Uh, and they've already thrown in a towel, right? Um, for me, it was once the 10-year yield broke above 1.94%, if people saw how much home prices uh, the builders paid or, or forced on the consumer. And this is part of my thing is that the builders and home sellers had way too much pricing power. And because they had way too much pricing power, they pushed it to the limits, right? Because they're simply here to make as much money as possible. They don't really care about the sustainability of the housing market. The whole business model is at risk. The builders themselves couldn't finish homes on a timely manner. So they had all these homes under contract and they couldn't lock the rates. And their clients went in at three percent, three and a quarter, and now it's five and a quarter, six and a quarter. They can't even qualify for the for the loan now or for the home now. So they have to sell their products either at a discount or hope the rates come back down. So the business cycle for them is dead. Um, I think I, I raised the recession red flag for the uh, for the builders in June. 
Uh, and then the following month, the home builder survey uh, collapsed uh, in one of the biggest fashions in recent history. Looks perfectly normal to me. So they are just going to slow down because their product cannot compete with the existing home sales market, which is cheaper in a higher interest rate environment. And that's the thing. It's, it's the housing dilemma. Um, do we, the builders need 3 to 4% mortgage rates to build? But then at the cost of the existing home sales market being up 15 to 20% year over year, it's not a good trade-off. Uh, and it's just an unfortunate reality that we're in. And this is why the builders will never build as enough, enough homes that people want. As frustrated as everybody is, think of them as a business first and realize that they have to like manage rates, demand, pricing, all the costs, lumber, labor, everything. And they have to make money because they're not here to lose money. I think a lot of people forget this. They go, well, the builders have to build homes even if nobody wants them. No, that's not how a business works. Uh, so look at them in that light and a lot of their um, uh, mindset or thinking or production levels will make sense. Right. So uh, how come the house builders, the home builders built so many in, let's say, 2001, 2002, 2003? You know, they were also for-profit businesses then, right? What, what was different? Demand, right? Uh, when you have a credit boom facilitated by exotic loan debt structures, you truly believe that your production levels are actually accurate because you can sell those homes at whatever price you want. That's why the 2002 to 2005 period, if you look at mortgage demand, it just blew up, right? And, and sales blew up and production blew up and prices and permits and housing completions. Here, it's never the case. We never really had like a sales boom. Uh, so once that credit tightened, right? Um, and then you saw this massive collapse from a very high level, uh, new home sales fell 82%. And it wasn't just the 82% decrease in sales from the peak to bottom. It was having the weakest housing recovery also from uh, 2008 to 2019. The, the main difference is that back then they had the demand, except the demand was facilitated by credit, exotic loan debt structures, how, that, how I call it. And then that's it, right? Uh, 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 credit actually really started to tighten after 2005. Uh, because the credit that was facilitating that demand was products that no longer started to exist. So you saw this massive right. decline in sales uh, for new homes and existing home sales. Not the case now, right? We never had a credit boom in America. So we have very good homeowners, right? Homeowners' financial profiles look better than ever. So that was a credit boom here. Very slow and steady demographic replacement demand. Completely two different cycles. I would argue that if you took those two cycles uh, in U.S. economics, just based on housing, you've never seen two different cycles as we've seen. Uh, that one was boosted by demand here. The pricing mechanism, especially after 2020, is more based on uh, total inventory levels breaking to all-time lows. Yes, I think that's a really important point. Just to just to hammer it home, like in you know 2005 was when you saw the peak of the equity prices of a lot of these companies, right? The, the home builder companies. And then in 2006 and 2007, like the subprime lenders that were supplying the, the, the loans that were packaged into the exotic structures, they stopped being able to sell their loans. Uh, so, so how would you compare that period before the great financial crisis to now? Like, is there, what is the subprime it, activity, biggest, if at biggest all? Biggest difference, yeah. Biggest difference yeah. ever recorded in history. I mean, I, this has been a main talking point of mine because I, I actually, I always tell people, I do not fundamentally believe the U.S. can have a credit boom ever again in housing. Because we we made we made lending standards great again by making it boring, 
right? It is simply just a fixed long-term debt product. That's it. So what's happened is, and a lot of times I like to show the credit profiles or the credit stress data. Uh, in 2005, in 2006, 2007, and 2008, credit started to get worse. What I mean by credit getting worse is that people were filing for foreclosures and bankruptcies before the job loss recession. We saw that in the data. So you can see that the product that was being facilitated uh, back then was already creating foreclosures and bankruptcies, and there was no job loss recession yet. And then comes 2008, then the job loss recession comes on top of that just to add more fuel to the fire. So here, nothing. Foreclosures and bankruptcies have been falling for years. Uh, what's happened is American households, they bought a home, they have a fixed long-term debt product, and their wages rise every year. And then we've had three refinancing waves in 2012, 2016, and of course during COVID, 2020, 2021. So the homeowner on paper looks wonderful because their cash flow is really great. All, everyone's FICO scores are really high uh, because their product is completely different. After 2010, all the exotic loan debt structures that were in the past were all gone. So yeah. credit in a sense can't get really tight or loosen anymore. It's just hovering at a very low level. There's not much you could do there. So again, two very extreme different cycles on the credit profiles. Yeah. And before before there was a lot of uh, adjustable rate mortgages now it's it's fixed uh so if if i lock it in at a fixed rate at at 3% mortgage rate i'm paying that for over the next 30 years right yeah yeah and even yeah. the even the adjustable loans now are not even the adjustable loans in the past so we've seen a little bit of increase in adjustable loans but the adjustable loans adjustments or increases look like how they were in the last cycle or in in, in, the, in the past 10 years when rates rise you see a little bit of growth the difference is that you actually have to qualify with the higher payment and this is one of the reasons why adjustable loans aren't that popular uh during the housing bubble years i think it got to 34 to 35 percent of the loans being done i think here even the increase we saw this year is roughly like 10 percent uh, uh increase so it, it's not only the volume isn't there but the product itself is much different. You actually have to be able to afford the loan off the readjustment price, uh, whether it's five or seven or 10 years. And you know, some people just get it now and they go, okay, well, you know what, when rates come back down, I'll refinance to a 30 year fix. But even if that didn't occur, there's just no kind of re recast arm risk like we saw in uh, from the loans that were given before the peak of 2005, completely different arm products as well. Uh, that's why I don't think they'll be like very popular uh, like they were back then, the the the, the payment structure and, and the qualifications are much different this time. Okay, uh, so so we talked about the inventory. Now let's move on to the rates. So I think a big catalyst for the subprime boom was that the big investment banks were buying them from the subprime uh, subprime loans from the subprime lenders, and they were packaging them into these mortgage-backed securities and far more exotic deals. I think a real change in the mortgage market is uh, you know, the, the Federal Reserve started to buy. Fannie Mae, like mortgage-backed securities. Let, let's sort of wind, wind the clock forward to now. How much of the increase in mortgage rates is due to the treasury yield going up? Uh, or is it due to the tapering and now tightening of the federal balance sheet where they're selling, sorry, they're not selling, they are um, you know, uh, uh, reducing their holdings of mortgage-backed securities? I don't actually target mortgage. I, I hardly ever talk about mortgage-backed securities because I just focus on the bond yields first. Bond yields rose, mortgage rates rose, except this time mortgage rate pricing was a lot worse. So a good example is in 2018, the 10-year yield got to three and a quarter percent. Mortgage rates got to 5%. 
Uh, in 2013-14, the 10-year yield went from 160 to three um, percent. Mortgage rates got to four and a half percent. Here, the 10-year yield went up all the way to uh, 350. Mortgage rates got to uh, six and a quarter percent. Uh, and even today, as we speak, the 10-year yield is at 260. Mortgage rates could be a little bit under uh, 5% now or, or roughly at there. So the mortgage-backed security has, has, has impacted the pricing in that sense. However, no matter what anyone says, the 10-year yield and mortgage rates trend together, right? Uh, we, we, there are dislocations at times where, you know, we can see the mortgage rates start to go lower. Maybe bond yields are still rising. But historically speaking, 10-year yield rises, mortgage rates rise. 10-year yield falls, mortgage rates fall. So we've seen a reversal in bond yields as more and more of the economic data gets recessionary. And if you look at post-1982, I'm not going to take 1975 in the early 1980s, mortgage rates tend to fall going into a recession. Um, my six recession red flags are up. So when people say, oh, do you think mortgage rates can go higher? I say, I can't. Uh, my recessionary flags are up. That means bond yields typically go down and mortgage rates go down. It didn't happen in 75. It didn't happen in, in 1981. But we're pretty late in the expansion to be thinking about the 10-year yield getting to 5 or 6% or mortgage rates getting to 7 to 9%. Uh, so what's, we're, what we're seeing right now is rates made a 1% plus move lower. There's no more QE. The mortgage-backed security market, they're not really buying or, or, or doing anything too much there. But mortgage rates fell with a 10-year yield. So I try to just focus on that because I think there's a lot of discussion on the mortgage backs, how that's really driving. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it, to me, it doesn't really make sense when you look at the historical data. So bond yields fall, mortgage rates fall. The pricing variance can change definitely, but they have historically have trended well together since 1975. And I kind of joke, I said, guys, do you guys remember the Fed sold off all its mortgage-backed securities from 75 to 81? And then in 1982, they started buying back mortgage-backed securities from 82 to 2010. And then everybody pauses and goes, oh no, that didn't happen. You know, that's just <laughs> part of the functionality of what we are. So definitely we do see some, as the Fed is not stepping in, we see some dislocation in the pricing. Uh, uh, but it, it still, wherever the 10-year yield's going, Mortgage rates will follow. Uh, uh, traditionally, there's a there's a big gap right now, but in a sense, mortgage rates could be mortgage rates can go a lot lower on its own if the traditional pricing gets back in there. So I think I don't still think there's a lot of appetite at this point, but still, we just had a one percent plus decrease in rates in a very fast amount of time. That should wake some people up on how important the ten year yield is uh, to the thirty year uh, mortgage. Yeah, I'm looking at that exact chart of the 10-year yield and the 30-year fixed rate. And yeah, they, they move it in lockstep. Logan, my question is, what is the mechanism for that? Is it if treasury yields rise, banks just want to hold more treasuries and on the, on, on the margin issue fewer mortgages? Well, it's just it's just basically the function of the uh, of, of the rate. You know, how, what, what is the cost, right? So uh, traditionally, when... 10-year yield goes up. Usually the Fed funds rates goes up. The cost goes up. So the mortgage rate has to be higher. Vice versa, the other way around, 10-year uh, yield falls, the cost of mortgage rates. So you want to have a, there has to be a competitive product out there. Uh, uh, you don't want to have like all the other banks having lower rates than you and you just don't have any business. So they, they, they move in that direction. The mortgage-backed security in a sense provides liquidity, provides a functioning marketplace uh, the Fed was a massive buyer. Uh, oddly enough, I remember the March 9th of 2020, uh, for, when I saw that 10-year yield at 0.33%, I said, oh boy, we're going to have a mortgage market meltdown. 
you know, and it wasn't it wasn't because the banks were going to go out of business. It's just that mortgage rates were going to fall so fast that the entire loans, we call it an EPO, early payoff, uh, everyone was going to refinance and everyone's going to lose a lot of money because, you know, you have to pay so much to obtain a mortgage. And then if somebody, if they refinance, that means you all lost money paying up for that. Uh, and then the margin of the trading around the bond market, I said, oh God, things are going to get hectic. That week, even though the 10-year yield collapsed, mortgage rates went up 1% because they couldn't allow the market to break that fast. Uh, so there are times where rates move down or the 10-year yield moves down so fast that it could completely uh, uh, destroy the business model of, of, of giving mortgages. And that was that mortgage market meltdown. Eventually, things uh, started to work out uh, in time. By September, we started to get a little bit uh, better normal pricing uh, uh, and the risk of the business because, you know, even though consumers do not have to pay a, a prepayment penalty, uh, lenders in a sense, because everyone's a loan processor for the government. That's what really the world mm -hmm. is. Uh, we either sell to Freddie or Fannie or the FHA, VA insurers, you know, so everybody's basically, they, They'll give you the rate, but uh, if your borrower refinances within six months, we lost money, so you have to pay. So there was that having rates drop down that fast wasn't uh, good for the entire industry. Uh, so market pricing was probably never as low as it should have been during the COVID crisis. Eventually, pricing did get better, but there was a lot. I mean, there's just so much drama everywhere because of what COVID has done and. And now we're dealing with, you know, the aftermath of the Russian invasion and what's going to happen in China and Taiwan. So there's just nothing is normal after 2020. Uh, so we have to deal with these violent moves, uh, either in the bond market or pricing or the uh, credit stress, uh, much different than it was in the previous expansion, which was really boring compared to this. I, I think something you said earlier I want to hone in on is that in a, into a recession, in the same way that bond yields fall, mortgage rates fall. So it's not like a... Uh, a high yield instrument where spreads blow out, blow out. It's not a risk. Uh, it's an asset that does well when everything else does poorly. Yeah, it's um, you know so much of the last few months is trying to convince people that if you are if you're looking for mortgage rates in the bond market to correlate to inflation data, uh, I, I'm very sympathetic. I am. I get it. You you think mortgage rates should be at ten percent, or you think the bond market should be much higher, but it's late in the expansion for that to occur. Now, in the in 1975, that happened. Rates went up during a recession. Mortgage rates went up. We saw that in, in 1981. We have gone through an entire recession recovery, and now having recessionary data with the 10-year yield being above three percent. Not that long. Uh, with the we had the hottest economic growth, we had the hottest rate of growth of inflation. We had a commodities war that was being played out, and today, right now, as we speak, the ten-year yield is at two sixty, right? So, if you look at that downtrend in the bond market from nineteen eighty-two, and you look at where the bond markets have been since twenty ten, you know, if you take the kind of the COVID out of the equation, Russian invasion out of the equation, the ten-year yield has really been just in that normal channel. And mortgage rates, for the most part, has been in that channel, except for uh, pricing got really bad after the uh, Russian invasion. So uh, that was probably 1% uh, uh, higher than normal. And now we have this big, big percentage decrease in a very short amount of time. But the 10-year yield looks like how it normally looks like. We, we found a peak. And if the economy is going into recession and falls, I'm sure the Fed 
is not happy about that because they don't want uh, uh, loosening. They want tighter uh, credit conditions and the bond market doesn't care, right? They're, they sniff out the data so they can come out and talk as tough as they want. But uh, uh, to me, what the 10-year yield and mortgage rates is doing is traditionally very normal post-1982. I mean, the 75 and 1981 cases are different, but uh, we've kind of been through the cycle already. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, I know there are people that think the 10-year can get a 5 6% and mortgage rates can get to 8 to 10%. Really tough when you have recessionary data, right? Uh, so traditionally, just doing what it normally does. What is the recessionary data? You said we are technically in a housing recession. Uh, we are also technically in a general recession, given that we have you know, two uh, consecutive quarters of negative real GDP growth. And also, you said you have uh, six of your uh, six of your recession Especially red, red flags, flags have yes. been checked. Uh, so, yeah, tell us about that. What I've what I've done uh, in the previous expansion because I thought you know tracking economic cycles should be very boring. It's not not supposed to be as exciting as people make it. But I need kind of six things to happen before I go on recession watch. And just a very quick version. You know, number one is. Uh, uh, the unemployment rate gets to a certain level. You know, for me, it was 4%. Uh, the uh, Federal Reserve starts its Fed rate hike process that already happened. The inverted yield curve. Um, I was on inverted yield curve watch since Thanksgiving of uh, 2021, uh, which was really early, but it's it, it, people who know my work, I, I was on inverted yield curve watch at the end of 2017 for 2018. In fact, I crossed off the inverted yeah. yield curve in 2018. Here I said, okay, I'm on inverted yield curve watch. It should happen. Uh, in 2022, that's gone. That's number three. Number four is you kind of find the um, where in the economic cycle did we have booming demand where we had overinvestment to where when demand falls back to normal, you're going to have too much supply. Durable goods spending and retail sales, right? We all see it, you know, massive spending during COVID or I call it the Peloton effect, right? You saw Peloton have booming demand. All of a sudden they're, oh my God, it's just a bike with an iPad on it. Uh, you don't really need that mu that many out there, so they've had to lay off 20% of their workforce because they have too much inventory. Uh, so that the durable goods sector is kind of where I focus on. That's the fourth flag. So the last two are usually the most important. But traditionally speaking, you know, new home sales, housing starts, they fall into a recession. Sticking true with my 1.94% line in the sand on the 10-year yield. Once we broke above that after March. All right, I'm here. I am. I'm, I'm, the new home sales sector is a risk, uh, and by uh, June, I raised a recession red flag, saying the business cycle is over for construction. The builders are going to have too much supply; they're going to have to work that off. So they're not, they're not going to be building um, more single-family homes, and we see single-family homes declining. The builders' confidence index collapsed recently. That's a very good. That's a, probably our best survey in America is the builder survey because it's really based on profit only not ideological takes. So when it falls, it falls. You know, in 2018, it fell. On paper, it looked like uh, the recession red flag was raised. Back then I said, I'm gonna put it in the penalty box just because new home sales are so low and housing starts are so low. And here comes a better yeah. demographic patch. So when rates fall in 2019, we'll be okay. In a few months, monthly supply came back down for the builders, everything was fine. Here, it's a much different case. They've had so much price inflation. Rates have gone up so much. And they have all these homes that are uh, 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 under construction. They have to make sure they sell them. So that is done. And then the final last one is leading economic index, which is the irony is that this, the committee conference board has asked me to present my sixth recession red flag to them this week. Um, leading economic index traditionally falls four to six months uh, uh, at, before every single recession. So 
having the five recession red flags, knowing the components of this data line, uh, there's 10 different things, you know, I, new orders, housing permits, credits, uh, credit spreads. Uh, I said, okay, we, we peaked. I just need the fourth month to raise the red flag just to go with traditional cycles. Uh, April was the peak. It was a very small month-to-month decline. You know, I'm just waiting for the next month to do it. But if you know the components of the data line, you know this data line's falling, right? So if you look at every single uh, economic expansion recession, this data line is peaked and then it falls into a recession. Whatever people want to define a recession as, you know, I, I kind of look at it: job loss recession, industrial production falls, uh, real sales falls. You noticeably, we're we're not there, but we're getting there. And I think the bond market sees it. Uh, I'm I, I'm pretty sure the Federal Reserve must see this. I mean, there's some of this stuff is so basic, but uh, all my six flags are up. So what the bond market is doing is what I think it traditionally does. Even for somebody like myself who is quote unquote part of team higher rates because we need to create some balance in housing, I understand the limits of what an economic expansion and cycle recessions have on the 10-year yield and mortgage rates. So this is why a lot of times I say, you know what, I'm kind of worried mortgage rates peak, they fall back down. We'll see if that stalls out the inventory growth. So we're right here. All six flags are up. So I cannot be part of the seven to eight, nine percent mortgage rate camp unless I can create a premise that rates are going to go up during a recession. And we've just never seen that post-1982. What does housing typically do during a recession? We know what it did during the great financial crisis, but in other examples, what does housing real estate do? New and existing. Well, you know, uh, in 2000, uh, inventory actually went down. Home prices went up. Uh, um, People bought homes because mortgage rates were going lower. So it really depends on where you are on sales. Now, the new home sales sector slowed down a little bit. In this last recession, which was very brief, home prices went up, sales went up. Uh, uh, So there was a very brief decline for a very short amount of time it it came up. What happened in 2008 was such an anomaly in in historical portions that I like to show these inventory charts going back to 1982. So this is the NAR data. Total inventory traditionally is about two to two and a half million. Because we had such a credit boom and we had forced selling, uh, inventory skyrocketed to four million, 2006, seven, eight period. Uh, Foreclosures, forced uh, uh, bankruptcies, short sales, all this would happen. And if you look at it, inventory from 1982 to 2022, that was the anomaly period historically. Uh, Credit boom, credit bust. Here, Homeowners on paper look better than ever. And on top of their uh, positive cash flow, the nested equity they have is massive, right? They have so much equity in their homes. So you typically traditionally can't foreclose on a home that has equity. And also 40% plus of homes in America don't have a mortgage. Uh, We know if you look at adjusting to inflation, mortgage debt is not even positive from the housing bubble years. That's how we don't have this massive credit boom like we saw then. So uh, you have to like throw... 2008 out of the equation uh, and look at previous cycles. And what happens a lot of times is that mortgage rates start to go down a recession, demand gets stabilized or picks up a little bit. Uh, I think the difference here now is that we've had so much home price growth in such a short amount of time that I don't think lower rates will have the same kind of boost like we saw in the previous expansion. But that's what traditionally happens to a degree. Uh, uh, I, I know a lot of the let's say the bearish home price growth people think that mortgage rates are going to go up higher because the Fed has to fight inflation like we saw in the late 70s. I just think this is a much different dynamic than the late 70s. Uh, But we've seen home sales fall. 
as mortgage rates really picked up. Uh, so right now, I, I would tell everybody, keep an eye on mortgage rates because they made a big move lower. And if we go into a recession, don't think 2008. Think that we have over 150, you know, 150 million people working. And a lot of people that buy homes, they make over $100,000. They're typically the most employed as well. So the generational buying group is usually employed and mortgage rates just help them out. Uh, that's how you should look at recessions. You want to look at credit risk, the foreclosure process when it's, it's not, you're talking about nine months plus, no for, but taking any kind of forbearance off the equation. So much different dynamic uh, than what we've seen in the past, but we have had such a hit on mortgage rates. You can see what's happening to demand. Demand has fallen off noticeably and that only changes with lower mortgage rates. So we've had, we're like halfway there to where, you know, the housing market usually does a lot better when the 10 year yields under 1.94%. That means four under 4% mortgage rates. We're just maybe slightly under 5% right now. So we're kind of halfway to where you would say, okay, now uh, uh, rates are, are, are a positive for the housing market. And you can see the builder stocks have rallied really uh, uh, co coinciding right when the 10-year yield has been falling. They typically trend together. No matter how bad the new home sales data is, uh, money goes into the builders uh, just because 10-year yields are falling. And just like when 10-year yields are rising, um, uh, money goes out. Yep. Logan, so it sounds like your sort of base case is a mild recession in which rates, uh, mortgage rates fall and there's, there is demand for housing. What about... And, and also, more importantly, uh, folks who have a mortgage, they continue to pay their mortgage. They do, do not default. What about sort of a deeper recession? Uh, I don't know exactly what would cause that. But, you know, let's say a lot of people who have mortgages now, they lose their job. And, uh, yeah, what, is the, what does that scenario So look when like? I think about deeper uh, recession, there's three things that come to mind. Because as analysts, we, we have to model every kind of scenario we think. And then what I'm, what I'm thinking is the job loss recession becomes massive for some reason. Mortgage rates stay higher than normal because inflation stays high. And there is no, uh, uh, the, the thing is that you don't look at it as foreclosures. You almost look at it as forced selling, not in a foreclosure state. You, you have all these homeowners that have so much equity that they decide, listen, I lost my job, it doesn't look good for me, but I do have this house, I do have so much capital. So I'm not gonna go through a foreclosure process that takes forever, I just sell my home. In a sense, maybe that creates more inventory than traditional. Uh, usually when you see a job loss recession, the traditional risk is the late cycle lending, as we call it, the people with the lowest down payment with the most struggling cash flows. FICO scores are so good with homeowners, we barely see anything under 640 or under 620, but those people are uh, always at risk when there's a job loss recession, late cycle lending. But if, if the economy doesn't have lower rates, doesn't recover uh, fast enough, and the duration of the uh, uh, recession is longer, then you can see a, a more deeper dive. But I've always tried to explain this. Think of a homeowner when they're selling their home. What do they do? Like 75 to 82% of the time, they buy another house, right? So a traditional seller is a buyer of a home. So when they put their home on the market, no matter where mortgage rates are at, they go, okay, when I sell my house, I'm gonna have enough equity to buy, even if rates are at 6%. And this explains why the inventory channels from 1982 to 2022, basically around two to two and a half million. You have to think of it that way. People don't sell their homes to be homeless, 
right? Or, yeah, it's a home swap. Yeah. It's like QE. It's yeah, a home it's swap. swap. So, uh, you know, the you you could say, and maybe an investor that has no relationship tied to a house. Okay, that that's a different equation altogether. But a primary resident owner doesn't like sell their home to be homeless, or they don't sell their homes to rent at a higher cost. That's part part of the a savagely unhealthy aspect is that we got to such low inventories that people go, God, if I sell my house, I have no idea if I can even get a house. And I don't want to like be in this situation. So some people just didn't even want to test that marketplace. And think about it. If they had sold their home and then rates went up so much on them, you're, you're renting, you know, you're, you have a family, your, your, your kids go to school, you have a job. So when you make that decision to sell, it's a, it's a big deal. Uh, so that's always been my problem with the inventory channels is that sellers are doing really good. So one way to highlight this for people is, I explain it this way, from 1985 to 2007, people stayed in their homes five to seven years. From 2008 to 2022, it's 11 to 13 years. Some parts of the US are 15 to 18 years. I've stayed in my home for 18 years. People are just staying in their homes longer and on paper, they look so good, right? Cash flow is positive, fixed debt payment, all this inflation that we've seen, boy, What's the best hedge against inflation? Your 3% mortgage rate. So let's look at when we took a national data, about 13% of the country have 3% mortgage rates or lower. Uh, about 38% of the country have rates between 3 to 4%. Uh, and then another uh, near 30% have uh, rates between 4 to 5%. And then the rest are, unless they're buying a home recently in the market, uh, they have kind of old loans. So a lot of households are just doing well. So they need a reason to sell job loss, job gain, divorce, need a bigger home. Uh, uh, those things are very valid. There's always a, a traditional active listing of homes. Uh, but to accelerate that, like, like one of the things people said last year, well, when rates rise, people are gonna rush to the market and sell. No, they don't. That's how stock traders think, right? Homeowners, you just you it's it doesn't move like stock. Like I, I try to highlight this. When you look at the stock market, margin debt and stocks move one to one, very fluid. Housing debt doesn't work like that, right? It's a, it's a whole process and the seller has to obtain another form of shelter, right? Where you could sell your stock like in seconds down 30%, doesn't matter. It's so much more fluid. Housing, it just takes forever. And traditionally it's like over 30 days, the median days market. This is why I always say, the, when I saw the median days fall year over year in the last report, I'm like, oh, the th we have to get this back to over 30 days, which is normal. And that again, a normal market is a balanced market. Here, because inventory levels are still low, we still have the days on market as a teenager. And nothing good happens in America when your days on market as a teenager. What uh, what was the days on market in? The, what was the highest point in two thousand six seven? Here, here's a good example. Uh, two thousand and eleven, yeah. when the market started to head a little bit lower on the inventory, it was one hundred and one days. Back wow. then, here it is for a days on market has been a big talking point of mine for so long. And I just like, this is not good. This is not good. You don't want to see this. And what we're seeing right now in the data is that new listings are declining. And I'm just like, no, they're pulling their house on the market. You know, so what traditionally happens is inventory rises in the spring and summer, and then it fades in the fall and winter. And usually the second half of July, the families that move over summer, if they haven't done it already, whatever, you know, they, the new listings stop, the growth rates stop. So we're starting to see that now. And then mortgage rates have come back down. So we have this inventory now and I'm worried that, oh God, they're gonna come in and people are gonna start buying this and now we're stuck back at this level. So for me, it's like being stuck at these low inventory levels 
is very problematic for housing where we never had to worry about this from 2012 to 2019. Uh, we always had plenty of homes to, to buy and sell and days on market or over 30 days. Uh, but here it, it just isn't the case. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just hoping that, you know, I, I was, I was very, I was delighted to see in the sense that inventory levels were starting to rise uh, from the lowest levels ever in history. But I'm also mindful that mortgage rates falling back down can prevent me from getting to my 2019 inventory levels, which I always like to remind everyone, which was four decade lows before 2020. And that's not adjusted for population. I that's... mean, that's the thing. When you adjust it to population, it's even worse. You know, I always tell people, look, in yeah, 1982 yeah. or, you know, uh, back in the uh, early 90s, we actually had, you know, 1.5 to 1.93 million uh, um, uh, inventory monthly supply spiked to nine months. We had a we had some uh, uh, price declines back then. We just have a lot more people now, right? And that's that was the fear yeah. of 2020 to 2024. So when people always say, "Why do you always talk about 2020 to 20?" Listen, when those people come in, okay, you're just going to get a little bit more demand, right? You're going to have more people looking for homes, right? Demographics is economics, unlike Japan or Europe. We have a massive young replacement workforce. I don't see. I don't. I don't call housing like a sales boom or a credit boom. I just say replacement workers, replacement consumers, replacement buyers. So you just have more people uh, looking for shelter during this period of time. So if inventory channels keep on breaking, you're like, ouch, something bad can happen, and it happened. And that's why I'm like, oh well, everything I I, I could think of that could go wrong in housing has. So if the it sounds like in this housing recession existing homeowners they are going to be uh fine but who are who are the people who are going to have a lot of challenges in this housing recession home buyers are always going to be in a challenge here and the positive aspect is there's more homes on the market now that's a positive uh uh places like boise idaho las vegas uh parts of california austin these area any any part of the u.s that's in 2019 levels healthy Right. I know some other people say, oh, it's not healthy. I, I have a completely different take on that. More supply, good. Less supply, bad. What we saw, the housing crisis was the inventory crisis. That was not a good thing. So the more supply is a positive. The parts of the U.S., especially like in the East Coast, that aren't seeing the rise in the inventory, still savagely really unhealthy. Uh, so the closer we get to 2019 levels, uh, especially getting to the higher range, right. the, the better it is for the housing market. And if and if the worst case scenario for me is that rates come back down, I mean, it'll be good for the builders. They'll be able to unload their homes and maybe be a little bit more positive on construction. But then, you know, the existing supply that we had, some of that growth slows down or reverses and then we're stuck here. And being stuck um, at 20, 20 plus inventory levels is just to me not a functioning housing market. And a lot of my work is to try to show people this is not normal. Like, you know, uh, like the last last sales in uh, Las Vegas, sales were down 24% year over year. Home prices were up 21% year over year. That's not a normal thing, right? And that's only, Doesn't yeah, sound normal. only yeah. working because we had, we had an inventory shortage, which I don't think everybody's, nobody's ever seen this. So, uh, so it's new to a lot of people. Uh, um, and balance means more, um, more inventory. So the higher the inventory, the better. Places that can't grow their inventory, bad. So that's that's how I look at it. Logan, there are two groups, uh, two categories of folks who it seems to me will have challenges, are already having challenges. And I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts on them. Number one is people who finance mortgages, not necessarily the banks, but people who 
they make money when deals are getting done, when mortgages are getting done, like you know, your better.coms, for example. Um, and number two is home builders. Uh, and you, you've seen the stocks of them falling. So how would you uh, assess their both of those groups' business prospects over, let's say, the next well, year? Well, if rates go down, it's better for the builders. Okay, they can sell their products. They're very good in you know taking advantage of lower rates when they need to, especially that their homes are under contract. Uh, when I think of the existing home sales market, higher rates is bad in the sense that transactional uh, transfer of income goes down. Uh, so the existing home sales market, its benefit to the economy is just a transfer of commissions. So when sales go down and mortgage loan originations go down, those people make less money and they get their jobs uh, lost. So that is that is one sector of the economy. Higher rates does impact very noticeably the transfer of commissions, less moving trucks, stuff stuff to that nature. The new home sales market construction stops, right? Red, recession red flag is up. But if rates come back down, they get to sell some of their homes off. And then maybe if they feel more comfortable, then they'll get to start building again. We're not there yet. So that sector is already dinged in a recession. The people that were making money doing mortgages and selling homes, they got dinged. Uh, so the higher rates impacts the economy on that sense. And then of course, home buyers, it's just difficult anyway. Uh, uh, even with more supply, there's so much price inflation and higher rates. It's just the cost of housing has gone up. I mean, this is a historical event. It's not just home prices; it's shelter inflation, rent inflation took off too. It was yes. hard. It was it's, it was harder for me to convince people rent inflation was about to take off, just like home prices were. But but you, this is a historic housing inflation uh, uh, event on both sides. And there's one thing in common: rental vacancies have been falling for years as well. So we just got stuck in a very bad spot historically, and we paid the price for it with higher higher home prices and higher rents. How would you establish the relationship between the rental market, where you're paying a certain amount a month, and the buying a house mortgage market, where you're also paying about a month, but you but you own it? A lot of folks say they're uncorrelated. A lot of people say they are correlated. Uh, and then also, can you comment perhaps on the the lag, the degree to which uh, rent increases, or at least rent increases that will show up in the, in the CPI, Consumer Price Index, are sort of already baked in the case. Yeah, so the, you know, it was the summer of 2020, CPI shelter inflation was falling, right? And I said, listen, people are, people are, the cities are going to get hit right now. And it's just CPI shelter inflation lags so much that we're not going to see it until later on. Uh, and then that growth rate is going to explode up higher. And then because your rent inflation is tied to wages, there's only so much you can do. Wage growth has been really hard. In fact, I remember telling the Washington Post that, that we're going to get to we're going to get the two percent CPI so much faster and stay higher. And if wage growth picks up, they can ask for more rent, uh, and they have. But there's limits to what that can do. It's such a high growth rate that it can't sustain itself. So it's going to take time for the CPI to actually uh, account for sh not shelter deflation, just the growth rate slowing down. Uh, um, but if you look at home prices, like if you compare home prices versus rent inflation, right? Rents always are rising, right? It's very rare. We had a very brief time in history after the housing crisis where it went negative year over year. Shelter inflation is always rising, right? Rent inflation is always going. Most people are always working. But home prices after 1996 have deviated from rents just because rates started going lower, right? So there's this big gap between home prices and rent inflation. Uh, right, and there's just no, there's no way rents can ever catch up. There's just the home prices have accelerated so much higher. I think there's a 63% difference now, 
where at the peak of the housing bubble, there was a 39% difference uh, between uh, OER rent and then home price growth. Uh, so uh, home prices blow out rent inflation. Rent inflation, much more stable, always growing, very rare. Is it negative uh, on a year-over-year -year basis just because most people are working and most people need somewhere to live. And now that wage growth has picked up, it's firm, right? Uh, if, if you're talking about a rental deflationary crisis, you need massive unemployment and people not uh, getting paid or anything like that. And that's why rent inflation has been very stable, but doesn't have the kind of um, acceleration in home prices that we saw in the run up to the housing bubble. And then, of course, what we saw from 2012 to 2022 on prices. Hmm. Logan, to, what would you say to folks who are very bearish on the state of housing and they think that the housing appreciation we've seen over the past two years has been due to you know extraordinary stimulus from the government, the fiscal, as well as monetary, the Federal Reserve, the Central Bank, as well as the moratorium on foreclosures and evictions and stuff like that. And they think that doom, if they, they had to categorize one word, uh, what they see in the housing market with one word, they would say doom. Uh, what would be one reason why you think they're wrong? Credit, right? Um, people forget this. Housing authentically broke out before COVID hit us. Uh, I, I, when I think about this period in time in history, it's actually the February 2020 data uh, before COVID hit us. We mortgage purchase application data was double-digit year-over-year growth all the way up to March 18th. So that is when COVID started to hit us. So housing broke out just based on demographics. To, to do a kind of a doom and gloom, uh, you're going to need what I call positive, educated cash flow American homeowners to willfully sell their homes at a... 35, 45, 55% discount to the market bid, or you need sales transaction flows to really slow down over a period of time of years. Uh, housing peaked in 2005, sales fell 2005, six, seven, and eight, job loss recession happened, credit was deteriorating all the way down. Here, sales are falling, inventory is nowhere near 2012, 2014, or 2016 levels, and we're, we're not even anywhere close to 2006 or 8 or 10 inventory levels. Why? Because the homeowner is doing better now. The credit profiles are better now. So if people want to make a case, well, it's these investors. Uh, institutional investors went from 0.4% of buying to 2.5%. That's it. If you're talking like Wall Street, I buyers one to one and a half percent, right? There's mom and pop investors, of course, they run the market. Uh, they're always like 90% of all investors anyway. Uh, again, that's, that's, that's a different marketplace than primary resident owners. So owners are doing good. You have to convince owners for some reason to sell their house at a major discount, even though they're working, right? And most homeowners are always working, right? Uh, homeowners make roughly over $100,000 uh, uh, on a household much more than kind of a renter and especially a, a, a low wage renter that typically has the higher unemployment rate uh, during a recession. So you're, it's just I, I, myself, I need, because my home price growth model broke, I need nominal home prices to fall 12 to 18% over the next two and a half years just to get my model back in line. Okay. And I'm thinking, God, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in trouble uh, trying to get that. So I'm trying to find a way to get inventory levels high enough and mortgage rates high enough in a recession deep enough to create that inventory channel with demand falling. And it's just my thing is that mortgage rates, you know, staying high during a recession is traditionally not the case after 1982. 
And remember, the government is going to do whatever it can during a recession to get everyone back on board uh, faster than ever. That's one of the things that post-crisis uh, 2008, uh, uh, we, we saw what happened in COVID. I, I, I don't imagine us getting any kind of national forbearance plan without any verification that you're stressed. The forbearance num numbers were inflated just because of the, the fear of COVID. We had near 5 million uh, forbearance. I remember coining the phrase forbearance crash bros in the summer of 2020 saying that people don't understand. Most homeowners have actually got their jobs back. This data line is going to crash by itself over a year period. That's what happened. We went from over five, near 5 million to we're actually under 400,000 right now. So uh, homeowners are just in a better spot and uh, uh, much different backdrop and sales. Like the awkward conversation I have with people go, Hey, where was purchase application data? In 2008, where, how much farther do we have to go? Um, purchase application data is already below 2008. Like, what? Yeah, we're already there. We never had a credit or sales boom. Homeowners bought homes. That's what they do. They, they, they live their lives. They have sex. They have kids. Their kids go to school. They go to jobs. They don't really care about the market distortion because they have a fixed 30-year product. And that, especially in a time of inflation, that payment doesn't really go up in terms of the debt costs or taxes or insurance, whatever. Renters do not have that uh, uh, luxury, yes. right? The renters, uh, even in, yeah. I'm aware. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I, I highlight, I remember going on Bloomberg saying, listen, everyone needs to worry about renters. Don't worry about homeowners. You know, rental inflation is taken up so much. They don't have that protection with that fixed product. So homeowners are sitting there chilling. They're all, hey. You know, mm -hmm. so just look at it in that way and just realize it's not it's not the buildup in credit from 2002 to 2005, nor is it the stress in credit from 2005 to 2008. So that's why a lot of my work, I try to highlight the two differences, because as someone who says we had the weakest housing recovery ever from 2008 to 2000, we don't have a credit boom. I try to show that and we see that here uh, in, in the data. Mortgage debt adjusting to inflation is not even positive still today, even from the housing bubble years, that's because that was an enormous uh, 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 spike in credit demand back then. Mm. Right. So Logan, do you think that existing home prices will continue to appreciate or or at least uh, be steady? And also, do you think new home sales, because new home sales are kind of falling off a cliff in terms well, of prices, right? Well, new home sales median prices moves differently just because of the makeshift of sales. Like in 2017 and 18, it looked like median sales prices were falling, but really it's just there was more uh, smaller homes being sold, uh, put in the mix. The builders can cut costs and give incentives to sell product. The existing home sales market, and kind of my rule of thumb for, for people that, you know, I kind of wrote this thing, our home price is going to fall uh, for Housing Wire. And I listed every reason why home prices were going to fall from 2012 to 2021. None of them worked. So let's think of this. Let's get back inventory just to four months of supply and get back into the 2019 range first. And then let's see where home, what, what, the, what the market is doing then. That just gets us back to normal. Um, you can have home prices fall with very low total inventory as long as monthly supply spikes. But that's a transactional uh, flow, right? People, sellers need to adjust their prices and buyers need to buy. Uh, let's wait till we get back to a normal market first and then see where mortgage rate is. Again, my thing is that I was worried that mortgage rates come back down and then the inventory channels pause and we don't we don't go anywhere and that's that that to me would be a negative so that's why the rate variable and the economic cycle timing works with housing when there's no credit boom right because affordability is really an issue mortgage rates were so much higher back in uh, uh the housing mobile years like six percent plus 
uh, for, for, for a while, but the debt made the housing sales uh, demand uh, inflated, right? We don't have that anymore. So we have legit home buyers. And when rates go up and prices go up, those home buyers get hit. It happens all the time. Uh, 2013 and 14, we saw it. 2018 and 19, we saw it. Here we see it again. But our home buyers get hit, not yeah. homeowners, because they have a yeah, fixed rate. Buyers, yeah. There's not adjustable rates with the 2005 yeah, home, Homeowners are they have such to, they yeah. just sit there and we're all good, right? They're, they're not, they don't get impacted by anything. But the home buyers, right? And then the home sellers, in a sense that now that rates have gone up, some home sellers say, you know what? I can't afford that house, that bigger house not with 6% mortgage rates. Rates have to come back down to 4% for it to work with me. Yeah. So then that, in a sense, can maybe uh, reduce sales levels even even more as uh, uh, sellers who want to move can't. So sales get impacted right now. We see it. Uh, inventory is rising. Uh, but until we get back to 2019 levels, I'm just going to still say it's a savagely unhealthy housing market because inventory is too low. And uh, lower rates can prevent me from getting to my balanced housing market look, which is still, again, four decades low, but I think it's balanced. Uh, so let's wait till we get to that sector, that area, and see where mortgage rates and what's going on in the economy. Then we'll address that issue then. Right. And so do you think a housing recession will be good for the housing market and make it less savagely unhealthy? No, in a sense that a housing recession means the builders aren't building homes and that's down the line, there's less less single family homes. Uh, uh, multifamily homes growth is, should be there because it's tied differently to good rental demand. Uh, the housing recession is tied to the economic expansion in terms of construction jobs, big ticket items. Copper, we see copper prices fall because so much of our house is in copper. Uh, uh, so the, the, that that's why uh, uh, housing forward indicators permits are a really good thing. Demand falls down, so you need less uh, copper, less lumber, stuff like that. Uh, uh, but again, when rates fall, that changes for the builders. Uh, they can sell more homes, but there, there needs to be a point where the builders feel comfortable about building homes again. And it's just hard for them with rates at these levels to feel that comfortable. Uh, so the housing recession is in that context, that less production. We can lose construction jobs. We lose single family building. Uh, multifamily uh, could go for only so much longer and then production falls. And down the line, that impacts future inventory. But the existing homeowner is fine. The home buyer is stressed. The builders are stressed. Look at it in that context. Uh, and for someone like myself who, who's rooting for home prices to decline, who wants inventory, I need to get my price model back. Uh, it's just we're not we're not there yet. It takes time. Uh, it takes uh, sales to fall. It needs rates to stay higher. It needs sellers to agree to prices. You need a buyer for that home as well. So it's a much okay. different process okay. than I think a lot of people. A lot of people thought that inventory is just going to skyrocket and people are just going to sell their homes for 20, 30% discount. Sellers don't act that way. You know, 2018 was a good case. Even though sales trends fell from 5.7 million to 4.9 million, um, the, the sellers just were stingy and just held their homes on for like 45 to 90 days. And some of them just took the homes off the market. This is why I'm keeping an eye on new listings to see if, if people just say, yeah, I'll wait till next year, uh, which you don't want to see if you want balance. So what you would want is for rates, mortgage rates to go up and stay high so that the price of housing will go down. But what you think that what you want is not going to come to pass and that because we're going to get into a recession, mortgage rates will go down and that will be very, quote, good for the price of housing if you own real estate but not good for home buyers. That's yeah, that's that's how I look at it. That's why I would say that the fear I have is mortgage rates come back down 
and demand stabilizes and the growth rate in inventory slows or pauses or reverses, which I don't want to see. Once I'm back to 2019 inventory levels, I'm all good. I, whatever happens in housing there, it's a functioning marketplace. I just don't think the market can function properly uh, uh, with the inventory levels post 2020. Uh, we've seen dislocations in markets all over just because the total inventory was just simply too low. Uh, and, you know, uh, the demographic demand that I've always talked about is the years 2020 to 2024 storyline. I think some of that ends after 2024. So it's just it's just a it, we, we chose the worst time in history to have inventory levels break down and we paid the price for it. And when you pay the price, that means that housing inflation is sticky and now rates have gone up. So some people can't afford homes. It's just as simple as that. It's just affordability. Mm -hmm. So you have a good battle between good demographics and affordability right now. But again, you know, we're still going to have probably total 5.7 million total home sales, new and existing homes. You know, that's still a decent amount considering what's what's happened. Uh, existing home sales is falling as long as purchase application data is negative year over year. We're going to be, uh, uh, sales trends will fall. But now that rate's gone down, let's see uh, what, what happens now after uh, uh, that big move down. And let's see if rates go even lower as the economy uh, goes into more a deeper uh, economic dive uh, recession where jobs get lost and, I just can't see rates going up in that environment, or I can't see the growth rate of inflation not cooling off with demand being hit like that. Logan, we saw earlier how the 10-year treasury and the mortgage rate move in lockstep, but there actually is that the spread between both of those figures does move around. And I actually think if you look at those that spread, uh, the 30-year mortgage rate minus the 30-year treasury, it's it's historic historically high. I think it's higher than it was in 2008, and it's just below where it was in 2000. Yeah, Does mortgage that... rates. Yeah, mortgage rates should be uh, under four and a half percent right now. Uh, if that was if we had anything normal just by itself, but we're five percent, maybe maybe under five percent today with the yields falling. But yeah, but again, we still had a one percent decrease in mortgage rates with bond yields falling. That's a that's a big deal. Uh, just like it was a big deal, mortgage rates going up two percent, but. Uh, usually housing really changes when the 10 year yield gets below 1.94%. Mm -hmm. That means sub 4% rates, uh, that changes the dynamic. And of course that would be a 2% plus decrease in mortgage rates where historically that has kind of been the case after every economic expansion recession, mortgage rates fall two two and a half percent lower, uh, here it, the difference now is that the lowest mortgage rate was two and a half percent. So for us to do that again, to, to do from the low point to another expansion, we need half a percent mortgage rates uh, at 30 year rates. That's not going to happen. So uh, right. uh, there's there's embedded housing inflation now that can't be changed just because rates rates are, are, are trending toward a bottom area that has a very hard time of breaking again. Uh, and, and we see that now. Mm. Logan, it's been a pleasure having you on Forward Guidance. My final question for you is, a hallmark of 2020 and 21 was people dropping everything, leaving New York City, they're going to Florida. People in LA, they're dropping everything, they're leaving to go to Austin, moving from those sort of main tier coastal cities uh, to other places around the country. Do you think that's kind of a bubble or do you think that will continue? Part of my work has always been that in years 2020 to 2024, I thought people were gonna move anyway, just because we have more people ages 30 to 39 having kids. So naturally you need a bigger home. Uh, so the expensive areas, uh, you go somewhere where you could actually afford a bigger home. Then the work from home model came and it just was the biggest magnanimous event in housing history where you can actually move and keep your same job. You might get paid less, but you keep your same job, but you can buy a bigger home. That changes everything 
but there's limits to that, right? There's only so many buyers that can do that. Uh, um, but in general, people move when they're having kids and they need bigger homes. So uh, birth rates are starting to pick up uh, from a very low level. And uh, uh, usually that's the case. You don't live in apartments or, or condos uh, if you need a bigger home. So if you were living in an older home that was small, you're gonna move uh, uh, to other areas that is cheaper. And again, like people like us here in California, like the median price of a home in my neighborhood is like 2.6 million. So everywhere in the nation looks cheap to us. So if somebody who lives here in Irvine or anything who needs a bigger home, boy, Texas still looks cheap. You know, the Midwest looks cheap, you know, so there are opportunities yeah. uh, for certain groups. It's just that these states, their population is so big. I think Los Angeles, there's only like five states in, the, in, in America that are bigger than the population of Los Angeles. So perspective on how many people leave compared to how many people are staying and whatever comes in typically is our higher income people. Uh, so these states export housing inflation in a negative way and they don't import housing uh, deflation in a sense that's the uh, people that usually come in and buy homes usually make a lot of money. Uh, so that, that, that is problematic uh, and has been problematic during this post 2020 is that the work from home model created more housing inflation uh, if it wasn't around, people still would have moved, but it would have been probably less than what we have seen uh, do from this work from home uh, premise. Well, Logan, I've got a bunch more questions, but let's leave it there. It's been a pleasure getting the chance to pick your brain. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, people can follow your work on Twitter or on housingwire.com. Uh, thanks so much. We should do this again. Definitely. Pleasure. pleasure to be here. Thanks. There is something that you need to be doing right now, and that is reading the BlockWorks daily newsletter. For top market insights and the latest in crypto news, you have to subscribe to the BlockWorks daily newsletter, and you can do so by clicking on the link in the description to this video or by visiting blockworks.co forward slash newsletter.